here's why we take Wednesday nights to go through the Word of God. And I mean, we teach whole books, and we, we want you to understand the Bible, not so, a few pet verses that we harp on over and over and over again, ad nauseum, but we want to get you, I want you to understand your Bible, Genesis to Revelation. I want you to understand it, the warp and woof of it, the message of it, the themes throughout it, the basic foundational doctrines of the faith. I want you to understand your Bible. I'll tell you why. We're in a day of great delusion. Are you with me? Great deception. 1 Timothy 4.1. Paul said, and this is my little warm-up for the message. Paul said, the Spirit is expressly, clearly telling me that in the last days, some will depart from the faith. When? In the last days. How do they depart? Giving heed to seducing spirits and teachings from demons. Do you know that says that? 1 Timothy 4.1. So you know what that's telling us? That demonic delusions and demonic teachings are going to seek to invade the church in the last days. Because you can't depart from a faith you weren't in. So, what is the devil going to be attacking the church? I happen to believe that, that right now the only answer for America is the church. It sure ain't the Republicans or the Democrats or the Libertarians or the White House or anything there politically. No, I think we ought to be politically involved. But listen, the only thing that's going to push back the darkness is the church. The gates of hell will not prevail against an aggressive church. But for us to really do damage to the devil's kingdom, we've got to know the word of God. So I want us to pray tonight as we get into prophecies yet unfulfilled, and let's believe God to speak to us. Father, we just thank you for the word of God that we come to tonight, Lord. The Bible is your word. It is perfect in its original uh, manuscripts, in its original form, perfect. And Lord, we come to this word tonight as it were, with our shoes removed, knowing that we're standing on holy ground as we study the sacred scriptures given to us by God. Church, pray this prayer with me. Say, Lord, open my eyes. Give me a fresh urgency and fresh revelation on what your word is telling us in these last days. Help me to be an answer and not a question mark in these last days. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, perk up, it's going to be good tonight. Amen. You can be seated. Now, um, I told you the theme of this, this series, which will probably last about six to eight weeks, is going to be prophecies yet unfulfilled. Now, to me, one of the great evidences that the Bible is the Word of God is the prophecies found in it. Because, folks, only one person can predict the future, and that's God. That's it. And if God's not speaking to you, you can't predict the future. No one knows the future. You don't even know what's going to happen in the next hour. You have no idea what's going to happen in the next hour. You don't know what's going to happen between now and the time you get home. So 
I want us to see in this series the unbelievable accuracy of the Word of God. And I want you to also see that God is in charge of nations. Do you believe that? Not one nation on earth is independent of God. Not one. So to do this, I want to, I'm going to be scooting through Daniel. I'm going to deal tonight with Daniel chapter 2 because there is where we find the first dream that is prophetic. Uh, and Daniel didn't have it. King Nebuchadnezzar had it. But the last part of his dream reaches down to us and its prophecy yet unfulfilled. So I want to show it to you. And uh, have we got the verses to put up there for them tonight? No. Okay. Okay. So I'm going to be reading to you, and I'll tell you, if you have your Bible ready or your iPhone and you got your Bible on it, be ready to do some quick punching and go there quickly with me. But anyway, in chapter 1 of Daniel, we find that Daniel and his three teenage friends, what were their names? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Amen? Now, courageously resist the indoctrination attempts of King Nebuchadnezzar to turn them into Babylonians with Babylonian ways and thinking. You will note in Daniel chapter 1, they have been taken into Babylonian captivity. The whole tribe of Judah, the whole nation of Judah has been taken into Babylonian captivity. And the very first thing that King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians try to do is cause them to become Babylonian in the way they think and the way they view things and the way they behave, the way they eat, everything about them. They immediately try to Babylonize them. I made that up. (laughs) But you know what I'm saying. And I want you to understand, dear church, that This is so what we're experiencing right now. You will notice that when wicked people, godless people, take over a nation, the first thing they want to do is assimilate you into their way of thinking and doing and living. And so how many of you are aware of daily pressure to think like this world, act like this world, view this world like the world views it and not the Bible teaches us to view it. How many of you are aware of that? It's every day and it's intense, right? It is a pressure to cause us to conform to the ways of this world and not to live out a biblical lifestyle, all right? So the stand that Daniel and his friends take uh, is a witness and an encouragement to the church of the 21st century. If you want to read Daniel chapter 1 when you get home, it's encouraging because they said, no way, we're going to eat what you want us to eat or live the way you want us to live. And they took a stand. And church, if there was ever an hour in church history that we as Christians had better start taking a steel spine stand against the ways and pressure of this world, it's now. It is now. Now, we also note that God honored their commitment by granting them favor and promotion. But then we come to chapter 2. And that's a, in chapter 2, a major test is about to be presented to them when Nebuchadnezzar has a mysterious, troubling dream. Nebuchadnezzar is the Babylonian king. He's completely pagan. He knows nothing of the true and the living God. 
Uh, he is surrounded by magicians and sorcerers that we're going to meet in a moment. So he is totally in darkness. But he has a dream from God. God can drop a dream on anybody. And this dream is intensely, profoundly prophetic. It says in verse 1, Daniel chapter 2. Now in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, plural. And his spirit was so troubled, he couldn't go to sleep. All right? So this was a major dream that had actually been given to him by God himself. It says in the Bible, the heart of the king is in the hands of the Lord. And as the rivers of water, he turns it whithersoever he wants it to go. And here's a pagan king, and God says, I'm going to give you a prophetic dream that's going to reach down to the end of time. God did that. His dream is a profound prophecy that's going to open the door for Daniel to exercise the gift of interpreting dreams that apparently has sort of been developing in the shadows much like Joseph of old did when Joseph uh, first began to interpret dreams. He learned how to do it in prison, and not in the big time, but in the shadows, in prison for something he didn't do. Joseph cultivated and learned, was taught by God to interpret dreams. Now, Nebuchadnezzar's response to the dream is to call all of his occultic wise men together to interpret the dream, Okay. So verse 2 says, then the king gave the command to call, look at, this, look at this litany, this list of bad characters surrounding this king. So he gave the command to call the magicians, the astrologers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans to tell the king his dreams. So they came and stood before the king, and the king said to them, I've had a dream, and my spirit is anxious to know the dream. Well, then the Chaldeans, ever ready to, to weave a, a lie about uh, interpretation of dreams, uh, they said, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we'll give you the interpretation. Now the phony false prophets and magicians knew that once he tells them what the dream was, they can spin some yarn. They can make something up and say, here's the interpretation, because they were phony baloney right? They were fake. They had no real supernatural power. And that's when King Nebuchadnezzar drops a bomb on them. Verse 5, the king answered and said to the Chaldeans, my decision is firm. If you don't make known the dream to me and its interpretation, oh, I love this. This is graphic. I don't really love it, but it's graphic. You're going to be cut in pieces. Everybody say that would make you pray quick, right? You should be cut in pieces. Your houses are going to be made in ash heap. But if you tell the dream and its interpretation, you're going to receive from me gifts, rewards, and great honor. Therefore, tell me the dream and its interpretation. Now, you've got to imagine, these guys are phonies. They've been riding on a phony lie. They, they are manipulators spirit of the spiritual kind. I can see their faces at this point because they can't fake this. The king has said to them, not only do I want you to give me the interpretation, but I want you to tell me what I dreamed. It's like if I came up to you and said, man, did I have a dream last night? You say, really? What was it? I said, well, I want you to tell me what it was, and I want you to give me the interpretation. And if you do that, I'll hand you a $1,000 check. But if you don't do that, 
I got some guys outside waiting for you. All right. So you tell me what I dreamed. I mean, this is pressure. (sighs) This requires a real, genuine, spiritual revelation that can only come from an all-knowing God. How else are you going to know what some king dreamed? I mean, you could, there's a billion, trillion possibilities. He told them nothing. He gave them no hint at all. They had nothing to draw from. He just said, tell me what it was. You tell me you're spiritual. You tell me you're sorcerers and magicians and you've got a connection with the other world. Then tell me what I dreamed. It's about to expose the fakery of these occult mystics. So it's a, it's a real time for truth in the Babylonian kingdom. So with their very lives on the line, they try once more. They say, verse 7 to 9, they answered again and said, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will give us interpretation. And the king answered and said, I know for certain what you're up to. That's the revised Wickwire version. But here's what he said. I know for certain that you would gain time. You're trying to gain time because you see that my decision is firm. And if you don't make known the dream to me, verse 9, there's only one decree for you, for you have agreed to, to speak lying and corrupt words before me until the time is up. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I will know that you can give me its interpretation. Now there's no way out. They reply by stating that the request, the request is impossible. They say in verse 10, the Chaldeans answered the king and said, there's not a man on earth who can tell the king's matter. Nobody can do this. Therefore, no king, lord, or ruler has ever asked such things of any magician, astrologer, or Chaldean. Verse 11, it's a difficult thing that the king requests, and there is no other who can tell it to the king. Look what they say, except the gods, plural, small g, whose dwelling is not with flesh. Now, they have said, we're in contact to the supernatural world with gods, plural. And that's how we do our magician stuff, our sorcery, our foretelling of different events. That's how we do it because we're in touch with this plurality of gods, but it's about to be exposed as being totally and completely fake, totally phony. Let me ask you, is there some of that phoniness out there in our culture today? Oh yeah. People who say, oh, I'm in touch with God, but they prophesy and it never comes to pass. You know what? At least regarding that prophecy, they weren't in touch with God because God doesn't miss Y'all are looking at me too serious now. Say with me, God doesn't miss. Does God say, well, my percentage, I've got a percentage of accuracy. I I hit it about 80% of the time. Does God say that? Not regarding future prophecy. No, you know that it's God if it comes to pass. So here they are, and they're saying, hey, we're in touch with the gods, but guess what, O king? They don't talk to people, and they're trying to give themselves an out. They don't talk to people, so they're not going to be telling us what you dream. It's their fault, not ours, right? But this was an empty argument. These magicians and sorcerers knew they had gotten their job by claiming to perform magic and doing incantations that supposedly invoked spiritual powers from another world, but it was all fake. And their phony claims are now laid bare, and the king is not thrilled. 
verse 12 of chapter 2. He says, for this reason, the king was angry and very furious, and he gave the command to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree went out, and look what happened, everybody. They began killing the wise men, or the ones who said they were wise, and they were seeking Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to kill them. So now it's gotten real serious in Babylon. People are starting to die, and Daniel and the three Hebrew children learn that they're on the hit list, and they're looking for them. And if they find them, they're dead. And so Daniel rose to the challenge. Everybody say, Daniel rose to the challenge. See, when you're right with God, you run towards the roar. You're not afraid. You're not hiding. You're not quivering. You're not shaking. You're not trembling. You trust God. And here we see Daniel saying, you know what? Uh, I know my God. I know that he's got the answer. And so I'm going to step out and put myself in harm's way to bring a resolve to this problem. Now, that's what men of God and women of God do. And that's the kind of people God's looking for in the church right now. All right? And so it says that Daniel, verse 14, then with counsel and wisdom, Daniel answered Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He answered and said to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree from the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the decision known to Daniel, hey, they're about to slaughter everybody who claims to have any wisdom in Babylon. They're about to slaughter them all. It's going to be a genocide, Daniel, and you're in the middle of it, and you're one of the targets. And when Daniel learns of the peril of the hour, he asks for some time to pray about it, and he tells his friends. So it says in verse 16, Daniel went in and asked the king to give him time that he might tell the king the interpretation. Verse 17, then Daniel went to his house and made the decision known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. That was the original Hebrew names of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, because Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were their Babylonian names. Verse 18, that they might seek mercies from the God of heaven concerning this secret. What was the dream? What was the dream, God? So that Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. You know, sometimes, folks, we've just got to go to God and say, Lord, I need mercy. We need mercy. Please help us. Give us the wisdom we need, the revelation we need, the guidance we need, the direction we need, the word we need for the now moment of our life. And here's where they are. This is it. If God doesn't give them what he dreamed, they're toast. That's pressure. So, in the midst of this major crisis, Daniel and his friends now hold the key to the crisis. And God honors their faith. Picture them in their little house there in Babylon. They've lost their homeland. They've lost everything they grew up with. They're now with a pagan nation, a pagan language, totally unfamiliar surroundings. They're being raised in a foreign land. And now the gun is to their head. And they know if we don't get a revelation from God, it's over with for us. Verse 19, then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. 
So Daniel blessed the God of heaven. God supernaturally spoke to Daniel in a dream what only God could know. The contents of the dream that God himself had given to Nebuchadnezzar. Because only God could tell him what he gave Nebuchadnezzar to dream about. And he showed it to him. Now, when they know they've got the revelation, I don't know how they knew, but they knew Holy Ghost bumps. I don't know what it was, but they knew. All right? They knew. We've got the interpretation. Daniel, with this night vision, I don't know if he was asleep, if he had a dream, whatever it was. But in the night hours, when it was pitch black outside and very gloomy over Babylon, God broke through and gave him this dream. And they break into a praise meeting. How many of you would praise God if your life was saved this way? Amen? I got to read their, their, what they uh, gave God praise for because it's so instructive about who God is. Daniel answered and said, verse 20, blessed be the name of God forever and ever for wisdom and might are his. Verse 21, and he changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who don't have any understanding. He reveals deep and secret things. He knows what is in the darkness, and light dwells with him. And then Daniel in verse 23 says, I thank you and praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we asked of you. For you have made known to us the king's demand. And Daniel went directly to the man who had been commissioned to kill everybody who called themselves wise in Babylon, Arioch, and tells him, I've got the interpretation. And Arioch takes him immediately into the presence of the king. How many of you know, listen, talk about pressure. You better have a word from God. Because now you're in front of Nebuchadnezzar, the greatest king on the whole of the whole earth at this time. Babylon was the reigning nation. And now he's being brought before him and he says, King, I know exactly what you dreamed. Wow. So... Daniel proceeds to witness to Nebuchadnezzar. I love this. He said, there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets. And the occult wise men, the astrologers, the magicians and sorcerers that you've been leaning on, they're all a bunch of phonies. I'm going to tell you the real interpretation. Then Daniel tells him his dream. Now, everybody perk up because here comes the dream. Most of this has been fulfilled, but the bottom part of it, the last part of it is yet to be fulfilled. Here was the dream. Verse 31, you, O king, were watching. And behold, a great image. This great image, whose splendor was excellent, stood before you, and its form was awesome. Verse 32, he begins to describe this huge, impressive statue. That's what he saw. Verse 32, this image's head was made of fine gold. But then its chest and arms were made of silver. And then its belly and thighs were made of bronze. And its legs were made of iron. And then its feet were made partly of iron and partly of clay. (laughs) Who could have ever thought that up to answer this king without divine revelation? Amen? Now, What Daniel just described in this vision of a great statue is a prophecy. Everybody say prophecy. Now, and it's so accurate. It's a prophecy of four earthly kingdoms. God literally gave Nebuchadnezzar a dream 
about not only his kingdom, but three successive kingdoms that would come after him, the order they would come in, and what they would be called. So the first part of this, this dream was a description of the present tense. But then the next three kingdoms were all future. And the dream revealed what was coming. Daniel said, one already is, and there would be three to come. Now I want you to pay very close attention to verses 34 to 35, for these are yet to be fulfilled. Verse 34, as you watched, king, a rock was cut from a mountain, but not by human hands. Everybody say it was divine. So pay close attention now. A rock was cut, chiseled out of a mountain, but not by human hands. It struck the feet of iron and clay. That's going to matter. Let that phrase, the feet of iron and clay, stick in your crawl, in your brain, because that's what we're coming back to later, because that's what is yet to be fulfilled. It struck the feet of iron and clay, smashing them to bits. The whole statue was crushed into small pieces of iron, clay, bronze, silver, and gold, everything that it had been made of. Then the wind blew them away, and there was no trace of them anymore. This is nations and kingdoms that come and go, all right? Like shaft on a threshing floor. But the rock, everybody say the rock, that knocked the statue down became a great mountain that covered the whole earth. And you, Nebuchadnezzar, you saw this, and you were in awe of what you saw. So much so that you couldn't sleep. And so much so you're willing to kill all the wise men in your kingdom to have somebody come forward that can tell you what this meant. This prophetic dream shows us that God absolutely knows the future of nations. How many of you know God knows the future of America? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And China. And Russia. And Japan. And all of Europe. How many of you know that God knows and knew when they would begin and when they will end? He knows all about them. And none of them are independent. That's what we're about to see. None of them are independent of the timing and the dealings of God. None of them. Matter of fact, I'll go further and tell you the Bible says that with every nation, God has a timer attached to it. Every nation has a beginning and an ending except one, the one that the rock we just read about is going to establish. That kingdom will never end because that's the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. But let's look at what he dreamed. This dream of these kingdoms also outlines the Bible's most foundational sketch of our planet's future. It provides a sweeping overview of prophetic world history. It has a prophetic prediction of globalization And the return of Christ, who is the rock that knocks the statue down and eventually covers the whole earth. Now let's look at these. Next, Daniel proceeds to give Nebuchadnezzar the interpretation of of what the gold and the silver and the brass and the iron meant. He says in verse 36, this is the dream. Now we will tell the interpretation of it before the king. So everybody say, well, he got the dream told. Now comes the interpretation. He's about to save his life. All right? You, O king, are a king of kings 
For the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. And wherever the children of men dwell, or the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heaven, he has given all of them into your hand. In other words, Nebuchadnezzar, you're head duck right now on the earth. You're the, you're the king of kings. You're the leader. You are over the greatest nation and kingdom on earth. And look what it says. He has given them into your hand. Folks, who gave Nebuchadnezzar that kingdom? God did. This is what we've got to get. See, a lot of times we look at what's going on in the world and we say, Satan's in charge or wicked men are in charge. But no, the Bible says he has given them into your hand, Nebuchadnezzar. You got no reason to strut. God has given them into your hand and has made you ruler over them all. And then Daniel said, you, Nebuchadnezzar, are the head of gold. So say with me, everybody, the Babylonian kingdom. So first off, the dream identifies Nebuchadnezzar himself and the Babylonian kingdom he's ruling over that had already destroyed Jerusalem, torn down the temple, and was one of two nations that would play a role in Judah's 70-year captivity. Okay? Next, the dream reaches into the future. Verse 39. But after you, Nebuchadnezzar, now right then, Nebuchadnezzar knew, hey, your days are numbered because there's going to be an after you. There's going to be an after you. Shall arise another kingdom. It's going to be inferior to yours. And so the chest and the arms of silver Nebuchadnezzar dreamed about is a prediction of the Medes and the Persians. Now let me show you how we can know that. We recall the moment. You remember this story when Nebuchadnezzar's son, uh, who inherited Babylon after Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, uh, held a feast where they took the sacred vessels dedicated to God and uh, out of the temple and used them for alcohol in a drunken orgy. Belshazzar was a party animal. And Belshazzar uh, was just living from drink to drink, party to party. And uh, he was ruling the kingdom of Babylon. And he had no fear of God whatsoever. And one night they're throwing a major party. And so he decides to go into the temple and he gets the holy, sacred vessels that God had set aside for his own use. And he brings them in for everybody to drink alcohol from and and, uh, abuse. Thinking there's no God to watch me. I'll never have to answer for this. I can do what I want. I'm the king of Babylon. That's what Belshazzar thought. But while they're all partying hardy and he's drinking away and he is very, very sotted, suddenly only a hand appears, a hand. And it starts writing on the wall in front of him. Just a hand. This is a good story for Halloween. Because I'd like to do that as a Halloween, you know, I don't do Halloween, but it'd be kind of a cool, just a hand writing. And Belshazzar, it tells us, he turns white as a ghost. He starts trembling from head to toe because this hand is writing something that he can't decipher. And remember, he's over Babylon. Uh, Daniel has already predicted your kingdom's going to come to an end, and when it does, the Medes and the Persians are going to take it, an inferior kingdom to yours, but they're going to take it. Your days are numbered. So he says, what are we going to do? What is this? What does this mean? I mean, you talk about a party killer. This killed the party, dead cold. 
And so somebody piped up and said, well, there was a guy in your dad's day who interpreted dreams, and I think he's still hanging around. His name is Daniel. And he said, go get him. They go get old Daniel now. He's an old man now. And they bring him in. He's already gone through one kingdom, the Babylonians. And they bring him in and they say, uh, tell me what this is, and I will give you this and that and the other, and promised him all kinds of riches if he would interpret the writing on the wall. And Daniel said, keep your stuff. I don't want it, but I'll tell you what it says. And the Bible says it said, meany, meany, tekel, you parson. And Daniel parses the sentence. And he says, meany, meany, God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. You parson, you have been weighed in the balances, or sorry, tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. You parson, your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Bang. Everybody, in one night, a kingdom was gone. In one night. And here was the fulfillment of Nebuchadnezzar's dream. His son watched the kingdom transfer that he had dreamed about. Belshazzar was killed that night, and Darius, the leader of the Medes and Persians, received the kingdom. Amen. All right. This event happened, everybody, decades after Nebuchadnezzar's dream and Daniel's interpretation. So that's the second kingdom. But next, Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar a third kingdom, the kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. There's going to be another one. Now, we know that the bronze kingdom was the Greeks under Alexander the Great because they conquered the Medes and the Persians. So the very next kingdom to come was the bronze kingdom, the Greeks. Alexander, how many of you know about Alexander the Great? Anything at all? Know anything about him? He was short, but he had a brilliant military mind. His, his military victories were prodigious. He died in his 30s, maybe from alcohol poisoning. But before he died as a young man, he, took, he conquered the known world, just like the dream had said. Because what did it say? The kingdom of bronze will rule over all the earth. And the Greeks overtook the Medes and Persians, and the Greek kingdom ruled over all the earth under Alexander, and then he died. Uh, he ushered in what we call the golden years of Greece, the kingdom of bronze, and he essentially came to rule over the whole known world. So he was the belly and the thighs of bronze. So there's the third fulfillment of the dream. But finally, Daniel interprets the last part of Nebuchadnezzar's dream, and he comes to the fourth kingdom. So everybody say with me, we got the Babylonians the Persians, the Greeks, and now we've got the Romans. Please understand with me tonight, dear church, Nebuchadnezzar dreamed about all of them. God showed him successive kingdoms that would rule the whole earth. This was not prophesying that you're going to get the best parking spot at Walmart. This is prophesying the arrival of world kingdoms and their departure. But here we come to the fourth kingdom, legs of iron and feet partly of iron and clay. Well, who in the world is that? They will be strong as iron. Inasmuch as iron breaks in pieces and shatters everything, 
And like iron that crushes, the fourth kingdom will break in pieces and crush all the others. Say with me who you think it is. It's Rome. Rome. What Jesus was born into. Rome. The greatest and most ruthless of the four kingdoms. He continues. So, so Rome, we know, conquered everything. Rome ruled the world. Rome took Greece out and took over the whole world. And, and they did break in pieces every other kingdom on the earth. Broke them in pieces, subdued everybody, took over everything. They were the, nobody believed Rome would ever fall. Now, we note that he also mentions the feet and the toes. And here's where I want you to really perk up. Whereas you saw, he, he tells Nebuchadnezzar, whereas you saw feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, the kingdom shall be divided. Now, was Rome ever divided? Yes. Western Rome collapsed around 425 to 450 AD. All right? It collapsed. But then Eastern Rome continued for another thousand years, and they didn't collapse until around 1453. But notice, God told Nebuchadnezzar in the dream, the fourth kingdom, way down the tunnel of time, centuries beyond you, Neb, the kingdom of Rome, it's going to collapse and it's going to divide. How do you know that if God doesn't tell you? Can you say with me, we serve a mighty God. He knows the end from the beginning. He knows what the end of something will be before the beginning starts. And here he knew that Rome was going to divide. Now look what Daniel continues to say about the feet. Yet the strength of the iron shall be in it, just as you saw the iron mixed with ceramic clay. Now, what is the iron in the feet? Because now you're looking at the feet, and these are weird-looking feet, because they're made of several things. There's, they're made of iron, but they're also mixed with other substances like ceramic clay. How many of you know ceramic clay is not remotely as strong as iron? Okay, but what Daniel dreamed was there was going to be, okay, attached to Rome, these feet mixed of iron and clay. He says in verse 42, as the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly fragile. As you saw iron mixed with ceramic clay, they will mingle with the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another, just as iron does not mix with clay. Now, I know what you're thinking. I have no idea what this is about. Listen carefully to me, because this is the part yet unfulfilled. He is predicting a resurrection in the last days of old Rome. Rome is going to reappear in the last days. But it's going to be a mix. You're going to have the iron depicting old Rome, but it's going to be mixed with peoples and traditions and customs from other places. So it's going to be a mix. But when Constantinople, that was Eastern Rome, 
when Constantinople finally perished in 1425, then all that had been of old Rome, the iron, was gone. Gone on the stage of history. Gone. But here, the dream says it's going to reappear. It's going to reappear. When is it going to reappear? In the last days. Now, everybody, here's what we're going to see in the, in the weeks to come. It's this reappear, reappearing Rome, this resurrected Rome with the mixture of other nations and traditions and customs in it that the Antichrist is going to seize and use to take over the world for only a short season. This revived Rome is going to be in Europe. And we're going to see in the weeks to come, when Antichrist comes into power, it's going to be a ten-nation confederacy. Because we're going to see in the book of Revelation, John is going to confirm Daniel and show us that there is going to come a beast that, are, that appears in the earth made of ten heads. And that's ten nations. Now watch this. They're going to be part of resurrected Rome. And they are the clay because they are not going to be of old Rome. They're not going to be the iron, but they're going to join with this resurrected Rome to help the Antichrist do his bidding. That's what this is. Weird-looking feet, iron and clay. What's that about? Well, you got the legs of iron, but then the feet are not fully iron. What is that about? Well, it's a resurrected Rome. I believe it could very well be so that this resurrected Rome is already appearing. And I'll talk about that in the weeks to come. I know what you're thinking. Tell me now. Tell me now. I can't tell you now. I'm going to blow. I've already overdosed you. <laughs> so, but look, here comes the unfulfilled prophecy, verse 44. And in the days of these kings, and that is the rulers and nations that will be part of a revived Rome, the ten-nation confederacy, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. This is the kingdom established by Jesus, and it will be eternal, and it will break in pieces all of the godless earthly kingdoms at his return. I know I've given you a lot, but if you read the back of the book of Revelation and you go to the War of Armageddon, and I'll be talking about that in the weeks to come. So you've got to hang with me because I know you're walking out of here going, man, that just was over my head. Listen, it won't be. You've got to stick with me. I promise to guide you to a safe harbor, okay? I know this is heady stuff, but watch this now. Here's the deal. We're told in the book of Revelation that in the middle of the War of Armageddon, Jesus Christ returns. And who's in the war of Armageddon? The combined forces of the Antichrist, the iron mixed with clay, that's the combined forces of the Antichrist, and the kings of the east. 
You know who that is? The Chinese. You didn't know that was in Revelation, did you? But it is. They amass a 200 million man army and they are fully involved in the war of Armageddon. And what happens? Jesus appears. You know what these fools do? They look up and they see Jesus returning. I'm telling you, he's right there in the clouds and they see him. You know how crazy they are? They say, we need to join together and fight him. Everybody say, that's crazy, baby. But that's what it says. They're going to join together and fight him. And you know how long that lasts? Long enough for Jesus to breathe on them and they are consumed with fire. And the Antichrist and the false prophet, sort of his evil John the Baptist, are thrown into the lake of fire, then and there. So what I want you to see is that's what Daniel is saying, that, that the one who returns will break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and then his kingdom will stand forever. Because when Jesus brings everything to a close by his return, it says he lands on the Mount of Olives, and the Mount of Olives split east to west, and he calls all the nations of the world before him. And it's a judgment, judging the goats from the sheep. Before he does that, he stops that terrible war. Because Jesus said, if it wasn't stopped, no flesh would be saved. Because man's about to annihilate himself. That shouldn't shock us. You are aware. If you're not, let me tell you, China, this week, or last week, recently launched what they call a supersonic missile. This supersonic missile, are you ready? Travels five times the speed of sound. We can't even comprehend that. Five times the speed of sound. And it rides low so that our radar can't pick it up. And it, tra- it went around the whole globe. And then they had a target for it. And it... it came so close to hitting the target that they wanted, our military freaked out. We didn't even know they were doing this. And how did they do this? I'm quoting them now. I read quotes from military personnel high up. How did they do this? They're the kings of the east. They're in the book of Revelation. And so they now have a weapon. I'm not trying to scare you. Y'all are looking at me like, oh, my gosh. Uh, But but I I want you to know, they have a weapon now. They can fire off, and it can travel five times the speed of sound. And wherever they want to drop a nuke payload, they just push a button, and it drops it as it travels the globe. We have nothing like that. We have ICBMs, intercontinental ballistic missiles, but we don't have a supersonic. Nor does Russia, nor does Israel, nor does Japan. They do. So we're living in perilous times. We're living in perilous times. And we need to be very aware that if Jesus didn't return, man would annihilate himself with weapons like that. But he returns and he stops the war. Judges, 
all of those fools that thought to fight him. Can you imagine being crazy enough to fight somebody that appears in the sky? That's crazy, but they do. All right, and then he sets up his millennial kingdom, and and I could go on and on, but the deal is I want you to I wish, well, we don't have the verse. I want you to read it with me. We don't, we don't have it to put up there. Too bad. Let me read verse 45 to you and we'll close. How many of you can say, I've had enough tonight? All right. Now watch this. Inasmuch, here's what Daniel closes with saying to Nebuchadnezzar. Inasmuch as you saw that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, And the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will come to pass after this. The dream is certain, and the interpretation is sure. Wow. Daniel reveals, and I want us to walk out of here knowing this tonight. It's God himself who brings down Babylon, the Medes and the Persians, the Greeks, and Rome. All of them collapsed. They appeared on the stage of history and went away. He's the God of the nations. He uses human beings for the various transitions, but they're only actors on the stage of history. The king is amazed. He ought to be. God is glorified. And the no-compromise teenagers, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were promoted. And so was Daniel. So let's stand together tonight. How many of you can say, well, that was a mouthful. How many of you were able to track with me pretty much? Were you able to track with me? I know it's heavy stuff, but can can you just stand amazed with me at how our God, the God who sent Jesus Christ, knows the end of nations before they start and has all these things in his hand. He's got the whole world. Come on, in his hands, got the whole wide world. In his hands, he's got the whole world. In his hands, he's got the whole world in his hands. We could go on. He's got you and me, brother. I'm not going to do it. But he does have the whole world in his hands. And history is racing towards what he has decreed, not the devil. Amen? Let's lift our hands to the Lord. Thank you, Father. We praise you. That as we see this dream and how you, Lord, gave a pagan king a prophetic dream that covered centuries of history and that now reaches down into our day, we stand amazed. And Lord, in the midst of all the COVID mess and the violence and the confusion and all the delusions and everything going on, We know, Lord, that if we stay in your word and stay in prayer, you will keep us as the apple of your eye. And you will guide us safely through the gates of glory one day. In Jesus' name.